This is News Talk 980 CKNW. 645, that means it's time to check in with Rick Forchuk. Rick, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. And we have, um, a, well, it's a s- sad note, but uh, an interesting story to uh, have you tell a little bit before we get to the movies. Yeah, before I do get to the weekend movies, Jill, I want to tell you about a man who has had a lot to do with some of the great films of the past as a noted director, and one who I think would likely be cheered up a lot by an email or a note or two of recognition for his body of work, and that's where our listeners come in. Michael Anderson directed such major features as the original Around the World in 80 Days with David Niven. That was in 1956. It won five Oscars and had a nomination for Michael Anderson as Best Director. World War II buffs will all be familiar with The Dam Busters from 1955. And for sci-fi fans such as I, films that include Logan's Run, The Martian Chronicles for television, and Millennium, a 1989 time travel film that I still like to watch at least once a year, uh, just on top of my list. Operation Crossbow from 1965 with George Pappard and Sophia Loren is another great title. Now, Jill, Michael Anderson turned age 97 in January. He lives on the Sunshine Coast with his wife, Adrian, who is his primary caregiver at this time, as Michael's health is not good. Part of why I'm telling you this is that Michael, although he can't speak, can still hear very well, and I and such friends of his as author and screenwriter Jaron Summers, who alerted me to this situation, want him to know how much both he and his work are appreciated. So an email or a note that Adrian could read to him could make a big difference in offering some comfort. So if you've been impacted by any of Michael Anderson's movies, such as The Wreck of the Merry Deer, The Quiller Memorandum, Shoes of the Fisherman, or the late 90s remake for television of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, drop me a note at rforchuck at shaw.ca, and I will bundle them up and put them in the hands of Adrian to read to Michael. That's rforchuck at shaw.ca, and if you forget that email address, just go to my website, www.rickspicks.ca. There is an email link to me right there. I think you'd be doing a very, very nice thing for somebody who's done some very, very nice things in the movie business, Jill. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful, yes, that people will send you uh, notes and she'll, Adrian will be able to, to read them. So great. Uh, we'll hopefully get some emails coming in. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Uh, let's uh, move on and look at what opened uh, in theaters. Transformers. Yep. The last night, and uh, maybe it is. Uh, this one opened Wednesday, Jill. And although it will top the box office for the weekend easily, it's off to a worse start than the previous Transformer movies, of which this is the fifth since the live-action series started in 07. Now, the movie, although action-packed and carrying the biggest budget of the series at $260 million, has not had word of mouth strong enough to really pack the theaters the way it should. Part of the problem, I think, is that it tries to do far too much. There are several stories in play all at once, and they're all over the timeline. Uh, to capsulize the plot in a few words is not easy. In short, though, if there is such a thing for this film, Autobots are outlawed on Earth after saving it time and time again from Decepticons, the bad guys. Optimus Prime, the best of the good guys, is adrift in space searching for the home planet. Back on Earth, King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table are engaged in a losing battle with bitter enemies that will bring England to her knees. And in Germany, the Nazis in 1942 have a stronghold on 
World War II. And wouldn't you know it, we learned that it was the Transformers with which Merlin had a deal that secretly engaged the enemy that allowed uh, King Arthur and the good guys to win in England, and it was the same thing with Hitler's forces. Incursion by the Transformers turned the tide of the war towards the Allies. Now, Jill, I read a lot of history, but I have to admit I did not know either of those things. I didn't know the Transformers were the ones who turned the tide in both of those major battles. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is back here as Kate Yeager, the junkyard owner who discovered Optimus Prime disguised as a transport truck on his property in the last movie. Megatron is back with all of his minions to try to undo any good that's been done. And the key plot point here is to find the staff of Merlin. Merlin is now long dead, uh, but it holds the key to saving the Earth. Now, fans of the series won't care much here about this. Uh, It's an endless uh, series of chase sequences. A lot of stuff blows up, and I'm just fine with that. I did not dislike the movie, just found it somewhat overwhelming. But for what it is, a big-budget popcorn film, I'm fine, but not landmark filmmaking. I believe that director Michael Bay might feel that way, too, as he has gone on record as saying that this is his last spin at directing a Transformers movie. Uh, the rating's 14A. That's Transformers The Last Night, Joe. All right. Uh, 47 meters down. Yeah, if you want a real tension-dripping thriller, this is it. It's a summertime shark movie. It made the top five of its last weekend's box office that had not yet been released in Canada. Well, now it is. It's scripted and directed by British horror movie producer Johannes Roberts. And it's a very thin but most frightening tale of two sisters, played by Mandy Moore and Claire Holt, uh, who play Lisa and Kate. They are on an escape-type vacation in Mexico, and we learn quickly that Lisa and her husband have separated, that their folks don't know it yet, and that Lisa is devastated. Part of the reason for the breakup, she thinks, is that she's just too conservative, not much fun, and too staid, unlike younger sister Kate, who travels the world and has all the guys chasing her. Well, Kate suggests that they do something adventuresome to show the soon-to-be ex that he's missing out on a fun person after all. Going into great white shark waters in a shark cage sounds like fun, and that's just what happens. Of course, the guys running the boat are not exactly the type recommended by the hotel concierge. The equipment is shoddy, and the girls start to descend. They see some sharks, the cable snaps, and they sink like a stone to the bottom 47 meters down. Now we have sharks, we have two inexperienced divers with a rapidly depleting supply of air, and you have guys up top who aren't that effective. With their, with their hour of air left, the movie plays out in real time as we see them try various methods to survive, and while the sharks try to make short work of them, uh, we as an audience find ourselves just on the edge of our seats. I found it a pretty good thriller uh, with some very good make-you-jump moments at a level of unpredictability that leaves the viewer guessing at every turn, not to mention talking to the screen. No, don't leave the shark cage. No, don't try to swim to the surface. And no, don't even think about getting rescued quickly. Uh, relatively low budget, but a pretty good ride, Jill. It's a 14A rating. That's 47 meters down. All right. Uh, we'll move on to Netflix. Yeah, I'll tell you briefly about Shimmer Lake. This is a brand new movie. It's a Netflix exclusive. It takes a page from the 2000 movie Memento, which starred Guy Pierce. That movie began at the end and worked its way backwards. Well, same situation here. In this Netflix film, we see three small-time criminals and a bank heist gone terribly wrong that goes from back to front. Uh, we've got Wyatt Russell is the sheriff doing all of the investigating. Rain Wilson from The Office and Ron Livingston from Band of Brothers are also involved here. The ratings 14A. That's Shimmer Lake. And also on Netflix, War on Everyone from last year. This is a sort of a heist movie about very, very bad cops 
It's a gritty look at law enforcement with a number of double-cross issues that do some very tough choices. And Paul Reiser also stars in that one. And Jill, over on Amazon Prime, <clears throat> this is a movie that uh, many people will say, what? Why would he pick this one? Well, it's out new, and uh, I like this film. It's from 1942. It's called Private Buckaroo. It certainly won't be for everybody, uh, but it's an interesting slice of history. It's World War II. The Americans have just been injected into the war with the attack on Pearl Harbor. And this musical, featuring some of the biggest names of the era, is essentially a propaganda film calling every able-bodied American to sign up and head overseas. Uh, now, one of the Andrews sisters in their songs here admonishes, we've got a job to do. That's why you've got to get over there. Patty, Maxine, and Laverne sold more than 75 million records in their day, and they're featured in a big way here with a number of Let's Get It Done production numbers. Uh, watch for a 22-year-old Hunts Hall in his pre-Bowery Boys era, as well as a 17-year-old Donald O'Connor. Harry James and his orchestra are the house band. This is hokey, but still very good considering the times. Uh, rating is PG. That's Private Buckaroo, Jill. All right. And um, we also have a $100,000 pyramid. Yeah, on television tonight, uh, this reboot of a longtime game show hosted by Michael Strahan now isn't something I always make a point to watch. But when there's a Canadian connection, I do pay some attention. Robbie Amell is one of the recurring, recurring characters on the CW series The Flash, where he plays Ronnie Raymond. Amell is also Fred in the Scooby-Doo movies, and he's been a recurring character on The X-Files. His cousin, Stephen Amell, who, like Robbie, is a Toronto native, is the title character on Arrow. So we've got Robbie as a guest on $100,000 Pyramid tonight. I'll watch it just to see how he does, Jill. <laughs> All right, that's a good reason. That's as good as a reason as any to watch a game show. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, these aren't fabulous programs, but it's summertime. Uh, ABC has taken a different approach again this year uh, by bringing back some old game shows. And uh, for some people, they're new because they hadn't seen the originals. Uh, for others, it's like, oh, well, the old ones were better. But, uh, you know, you make your own choice. That is true. All right, Rick, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next weekend. Thank you, Joe. That is Rick Forchuk. He joins us every Sunday morning, letting us know what's happening in theaters as well as what's on the smaller screens. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about wildlife. There was a bear. It had to be tranquilized in Vancouver yesterday. Uh, this after three bears in Squamish uh, were destroyed last weekend, one week ago today, after they became too habituated. It was actually a sow that had been teaching her cubs to forage in garbage cans for food. And also, we'll talk a little bit later on about Canuck the Crow and why Canuck the Crow is causing some problems for his neighbours in East Vancouver. That's all coming up on CKNW. Vancouver's News. Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.